Hey, what's up, gang? It's Vince here. And boy, have we got a treat for you guys on the free feed today. Not that you deserve it. In fact, you should definitely stop listening right now and go sign up for the Patreon at patreon.com slash broadcast. Are you still listening? God damn it. Oh, well. Anyway, this week, I'm talking to Steve-O. You know, from Jackass. You know, Steve-O. Anyway, Steve-O has a book coming out. Uh, The book is called A Hard Kick in the Nuts, What I've Learned from a Lifetime of Terrible Decisions, and it's available everywhere books are sold. It's about Steve-O's sex addiction, his recovery from sex addiction. Hi, Sam. That's Sam in the background. And his relationships and what he's learned in recovery. All that stuff. Anyway, that's the context of the interview today, and I hope you enjoy it, even if you think you're too damn good to sign up for our Patreon. Do it. Come on. Matt's baby just got born. Congrats, Matt. Anyway, sign up for the Patreon so she doesn't go hungry. Okay. I love you all. Enjoy. Hello? Hello? Yeah, dude. Hey, how's it going? Can you hear me? I sure can. All right. Good deal. So where are you this uh, this week? Uh, at the moment, I'm in Chicago. Right on. Is that, are you still, are you in the middle of a, like a stand-up tour right now? Um, it's really all just book promotion right now. Um, that I'm doing some shows, but they're kind of rolled into book events. Mm-hmm. I mean, you wrote about the sort of monotony of uh, being <laughs> a, a touring stand-up comic. Is book tour any different than that, or is it kind of the same uh, hotels and planes kind of deal? Um, yeah, the the book tour is super reminiscent of uh, the comedy club circuit. In that regard, yeah, I, I can't stand it. Plus, um, it's a lot more, um, it's super grueling. This, uh, like this last week has been super gnarly. Is it just sort of like um, you go to a place and it doesn't feel like you've been there because you've only seen like an airport and a hotel and then like one venue? Yeah, that, that that's super fair to say, yeah. Plus, I mean... Getting right down to it, America's all pretty damn similar anyway. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, with that said, Chicago's been kind of interesting. I was just in Des Moines, Iowa, super randomly, and I found that actually pretty interesting. Uh, do you find, like, the places you're going on a book tour are, are different at all than uh, as a comedy uh, tour? I mean, it's the usual suspects, like... Um, I started out in LA, flew to New York City, um, totally randomly went to um, Iowa. Um, I, I did a, like a Q&A deal at Iowa State University, which um, was uh, rolled into a book deal. It was totally random. We, we, we took the, the Iowa State University gig over uh, a trip to D.C. But then we're back on the track with the usual suspects, Chicago. Then um, tomorrow I have an event in Detroit for Forbes, which mm-hmm. is pretty, pretty interesting. And then um, off to Austin, Texas. So like when you're doing these book events, uh, I don't know if there's like readings involved, but you know, you talk in the book about sort of needing to be the center of attention and get validation from the crowd. I imagine it's a lot different when you're 
reading and people are like sitting there quietly versus, uh, you know, a comedy show where you're getting instant feedback on everything. Have you had to learn to deal with that in a different way? I'm not particularly interested in, in sitting there and reading my book to anybody. I <laughs> okay. think that would be, uh, I think that would be painful for all involved. Um, not that it's a bad book, but, uh, I just think that reading passages from books is a little bit, uh, you know, a little bit lame. Um, what, what I have been doing is, um, like Q and A's mm. and I've actually been kind of, uh, enjoying that a lot. What was the, Even though I, I did a, there, there was a book signing at uh, Barnes and Noble in New York city, which started out as a Q and a discussion and then the book signing. And uh, they have since completely nixed the Q&A <laughs> part because I've proven to be the, by far, the slowest author ever <laughs> with a, a book signing. I just sit there and like talk to people and, you know, like take fucking forever. Like they, they were losing their minds over me. Like the, yeah. the store was supposed to have been closed at 9 p.m. and I was still going at 10:30. Yeah. They what, hated me. <laughs> what's the best question you've gotten during a Q&A? Uh by which I mean uh do my job for me right now. Um well I love that man. Um the uh that I mean it was it was it, it was kind of fittingly the last question at the Q&A in New York. Um this girl was like her she said she was about to turn 18 and did I have any advice that uh, could help her as an adult? And um, I told her that uh, I think it's safe to say that advice that helps 17 year olds or advice that helps adults also applies to 17 year, year olds. And um, I told her that uh, basically no matter what, um, someone asks me for advice for i'm always going to give the same advice but uh, you know is whatever you want to do to start doing it mm -hmm. with the caveat that make sure you're learning the correct way because you don't want to go down the wrong path in the wrong direction and have to unlearn bad habits um but i think i had even more fun with that i said uh i'm gonna um answer your question by uh addressing the meaning of life you know i said it I, 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 I think people ponder what is the meaning of life as if it's some sort of a philosophical riddle or, or, or uh, some unanswerable question and i see it as painfully simple the meaning of life is to pick one mm -hmm. you know like uh to and 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 i said that uh I think most people's biggest problem is that they have not identified a goal which they're passionate about pursuing. You know, I think um, that uh, if you're going to, a prerequisite for accomplishing anything is first identifying a goal. And, um, you know, that, that, that's the, kind of the bit, the biggest thing. And, um, then I, I talked about enthusiasm, which I think is really the engine that drives success. Um, and and uh, 
like that, like, of course, intelligence is helpful and talent is useful, but nothing fucking touches enthusiasm. Yeah. And what's interesting is that when you break down the word, the word enthusiasm to its uh, roots in Greek or Latin, what you have is entheos, which means with God. So the implication being that when you're uh, really passionate about something, when you're uh, enthusiastic, you're doing God's work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it tickles me that, that, uh, Shoving shit up my ass is God's work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, you have a you have a co-writer listed on the book. I always sort of wonder how that works. What, what was the writing process in working with the co-writer like? Does he interview you or how does that happen? Um, worth mentioning that it's the same writer who uh, I did my first book with. Um, and uh, the first book we did together was his first book, period. Both of our first books. Um, I remember I picked I picked David Peisner because he had uh, written an article for me um, for Spin Magazine, and um, you know I had a fairly uh, a really good experience with him, like uh, over the few days that that we worked on that. And um, I made I I told him that I'd like to work on a book with him, and that it was important to me that I make that decision before his article uh, comes out, you know, like, uh, which is a kind of a silly, dumb thing, but, but it worked out really well. And, and what the process looked like was um, a fairly insane uh, amount of time recorded, you know, uh, tape recorded interviews, mm-hmm. conversations. Um, I believe up for the first book we uh tape recorded like 70 hours of uh conversations and then the second book was was less i think uh, it was more like 40 hours mm-hmm. um and uh, those tapes got transcribed by a stenographer i think is the word um and um once it was all transcribed david peisner effectively like poured through it and uh, created drafts of chapters then each whenever that as soon as he finishes a draft of a chapter then he sends it to me and uh and i revise it yeah send it back to him and then he uh, incorporates my changes sends it back to me and i revise it again now, as we approached the uh, delivery date for the original manuscript, or perhaps uh, shortly after delivering it, um, I asked David Peisner, because since we wrote the first book, which was published in 2011, David Peisner has done nothing but write books. Like, uh, he's become quite the prolific uh you know, co-writer slash ghost writer. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's been largely um, like biographies, memoirs. Yeah. It's been his thrust. And so um, I asked him when we finished this one in the, in, you know, in, in the 12 years since the first book um, of all the books, has there been anybody who's been more psycho as far as like, meticulous attention to detail and just tweaking over like every little thing. And he said, no, not even close. (laughs) Yeah. Not not even close. I'm super, super proud of that. I really did fucking agonize over uh, 
you know, every detail. And um, I remember describing uh, as the deadline loomed um, that, uh, you know, I felt that I was really at a breaking point with like, uh, you know, which is kind of rich considering my job is to revise the fucking work he did, you know, but I took it seriously and and, uh, it was a lot. And then every stage of the book process just presents a shit ton of work, dude. Like, I don't remember the first book being, I mean, I suppose I do, but fuck, this one was just a, a lot of work, man. Yeah. You can do it for as long as you want to, too. It's just endlessly right. tinkering. Yeah. Um, so I got to ask this because I just got back from physical therapy myself and I wasn't even in Jackass. So like how often do you have to do, uh, you know, physical therapy, like pain management stuff for various um, and, and then like how hard is that to do when you're traveling on the road for a, a tour? I've been largely like super lucky mm-hmm. with, uh, you know, um, uh, like I'm in <clears throat> like really pretty good shape overall. With that said, like this shoulder, it's just, it just seems to be falling apart on me. I don't know what the fuck's going on with my right shoulder. And that's got nothing to do with any um, specific injury or, or incident um i think it's just normal 48 year old shit um and uh what i do have in my neck i've got degenerative disc disease which is just like again it's mostly just 40 year old shit but it's it's from throwing my body around a lot and it, and that's not um really reached a point of being painful or debilitating it's just kind of looming as an issue um and other than that i mean fuck dude like i can tell that i do a i can i can tell that i'm doing myself a major disservice by not having a super disciplined like stretching regimen mm-hmm. that i think is going to replace my uh lifetime regret my number one regret from uh, not diligently flossing, I think that, <laughs> I think not. I think not stretching is going to overtake it. Yeah, I mean, so when you're sober and you're dealing with a uh, disc disease, like wh- what is the line in terms of like pain management and what you allow yourself to oh, do I for mean, painkillers and stuff? Like I said, the the degenerative disc disease is uh, degenerative disc disease in my neck has not. Um, you know, presented as a, a painful situation or a debilitating situation. Um, so as far as just like chronic pain that's daily and, and uh, ongoing, like I'm really not um, in that situation. Um, with that said, in my 14 years of sobriety, I've been through some fucking horrific shit, you know, like um, I, I, uh, basically shattered my ankle. I had um, a plate and 11 screws put into my ankle and, and um, I've had all kinds of surgeries since I got sober. And, um, you know, my, my rule is that when I'm in the hospital going into, of course, I'm going to have anesthesia, you know, but um, so whatever the, the, a doctor puts through an IV into my arm, 
that that you know that I have no control over it. That I got to deal with. Mm. But once I leave the hospital, I've uh, I don't fill out a prescription for painkillers. I've not filled out a single prescription for painkillers since I got sober. Mm-hmm. Everything's been um, Tylenol and Advil, and in the most horrific situations, Tylenol and Advil at the same time. Yeah. It's amazing how effective both of those fucking things are. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> Best case. Yeah. yeah. Um, definitely a lot of teeth gritting, <laughs> I imagine. Right. Um, I mean, yeah, dude, I remember my ankle being really gnarly. I remember uh, um, there, there was some, uh, some like gum graft surgery, some bone graft surgery. There was a uh, third degree burns. Like uh, I've definitely had a lot of a, a lot of um, crazy pain, and um, I think part of me just uh, really gets a kick out of uh, my my belligerent refusal to take painkillers. Yeah, like when it's really bad, I'm just like thinking, man, I'm gnarly. Like yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um... I'm a gnarly dude. So you met uh, in the book. You met your fiance. I don't, is she still your fiance, or are you guys like? She is, yeah, she, she's with, she's with me right now. Okay. So you guys met when you were supposed to do a stunt for a Pepsi commercial that, uh, and that you Correct. were you weren't thrilled about it because you were like anti soda. Uh, yeah, I'm like, yeah, it's crazy too because like it, during like my lows with. Uh, my diet, like, you know, at times when I've been able to just sit down and just fucking murder a entire bag of fun size Butterfingers, like even through those times, I'm just like, nope, not soda. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, man's got to have a code, right? Like, right. Um, not, not fucking soda. So, yeah, between um, the soda thing and, and uh, you know, the meat thing, you know, and like... I'm less, uh, you know, strict about, about dairy, but philosophically I'm very angry at dairy too. You know, anything, um, to do with factory farming really upsets me. So, yeah, you know, promoting, um, Papa John's pizza and Pepsi Cola. <laughs> yeah. Was, uh, you know, and I love to, that I say in my book that at that time, uh, that's what it costs to buy my, I forget how, how we worded it, but, but to, you know, my, uh, my morality, my ethical standards could be bought for $30,000. <laughs> I mean, I feel like that is probably true of a lot of people, but like, are, are there other things? So you ended up getting paid without them using the, uh, the stunt, which and seems like a perfect scenario. Are there any other like endorsements or things like that, that have worked out that way where like you've gotten paid for uh, not using something? I don't, I can't think of anything off the top of my head that, uh, that was, uh, uh, such a lucrative false alarm. No. <laughs> Are there other like endorsements or things like that where you felt like you were, you know, taking money? Selling to, my soul? Yeah. Like, uh, yeah. Things that you regretted or felt weird about in that way. Um, I mean, for sure. For sure. Uh, I mean, again, I can't really think of anything, but but what, what's more kind of uh, at the forefront of my mind is the you know, things that have actually turned down. Like uh, I've actually exercised um, 
some integrity. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't necessarily need to throw anybody under the bus, but uh, there was a um, uh, there, there was some garbage snack that that was all about uh, dairy that um, that actually like it was a six figure offer and I turned it down. I was pretty pretty stoked about that. Mm-hmm. Um, so in the book, you, uh, you write about your relationship with Kat Von D and how that sort of, uh, ended partly because, you know, she wasn't super cool with you, like talking about being a sex addict, uh, on, on stage. Which... Yeah, she, she, she was a private person and, mm-hmm. you know, and, uh, and I'm categorically not <laughs> Yeah, so that, that, uh, that whole dynamic really, um, I think, uh, you know they, that that was the 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 general basis for things not not really um, being like promising for a long term. Right. So, like, what is it about your fiance that makes her cool with you? Sort of, you know, writing about it in a book and sort of being open with that stuff. Um, I think that. Uh, I think that the world is full of, maybe not full, but I think that there are a lot of people who have serious issues with uh, acting out sexually um, in a destructive manner who don't acknowledge that they have that issue and they just continue to do it. You know, they cheat, you know, whatever, like, um, I would prefer, and I believe I can say this about my fiance, that she would also prefer for me to acknowledge that I had an issue and really, really care about addressing that issue and conducting myself with integrity, accountability, and and doing the right thing. You know, I'd rather call myself out for having done the wrong thing and, you know, be really careful to do the right thing moving forward then not call myself out and be a fucking scumbag you know so <laughs> sure like do you uh do you do anything to where she maybe like doesn't have to like do you think that's part of it where uh it, it, it's one thing to like talk about it for you but uh if there's a way to make make it so she doesn't have to like hear it every time. Do you, do you do like right. some sort of separation there or um, we like, Hey, don't yeah. read these chapters or whatever. It, you know, what? like that, that's precisely what it is. You know, I think that um, my, my, my girl, my girl, then her name's Lux. Lux never read my first book. Um, she knew that it had, you know, all kinds of, uh, debaucherous shit in there that that she didn't really uh want to know about and um this book she's uh <laughs> been been fairly careful to avoid um certain parts mm-hmm. and um you know like with that said she knows um she knows about uh, all the chapters that she hasn't read but, uh, but yeah, I respect that. She doesn't want to um, read shit that that is potentially upsetting to her. I respect that, and um, it's tough when you're when, when you're setting about writing a book like this. 
you know, I think what was important in both in the book and in my life in general is that um, addressing these subjects is done in uh, in a way that uh, doesn't glorify it, you know, kind of, uh, it's, you know, like there's, there's nothing about the way that I, that I uh, address that stuff that, uh, you know, that glorifies it or, or uh, celebrates it. I mean, know? is that partly sort of something that uh, you deal with in when you're doing like shares and recovery where you're kind of, seems like some people when they're doing shares, like they ride the line between trying to acknowledge what was bad and not like just reliving their glory days kind of thing. Sure. Um, there's a, yeah, I mean like in, in, in the whole recovery space, uh, or, or I should say in the, in the, you know, in the recovery community, we, we definitely try to avoid, uh, you know, uh, war stories that are going to glorify our, uh, active addiction. Um, I think, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty good about that. I mean, you want to qualify whatever we call it, um, sharing in a general way, what we used to be like, what happened and what we're like now. Mm -hmm. So you want to qualify as an addict, but you don't want to, uh, you know, overly, um, revel in, in the, the, what it was like part. Yeah. Um, are we good on time or do you need to, um, you know what? I'm gonna, uh, I'm pretty, Isaac, do I have another, yeah, uh, it's 1230. If you want to keep, keep going, we can tell them you're, you're running a little bit behind, but you do have something at 1230. Yeah. I mean, they're like, uh, I don't mind being a few minutes late, but I do have one at, at uh, at the half hour. Okay. I'll just, I'll go like one more maybe. Okay. So I was just gonna, I was curious about, uh, what your dad's like, you kind of mentioned him, uh, sort of uh, obliquely, tangentially a little bit in the book. I know he was like sort of a corporate guy. What what, what was, yeah. what is he like? Dad, um, I mean, I, I, I describe my dad as just like almost uh, a human calculator, you know? <laughs> he's just like, I, I don't want to say he's devoid of emotion, but he's just not, he's a pure logic machine. And, uh, not particularly emotive. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I think that's probably the best way to put it. And, um, you know, with respect to uh, the, you know, the nature of my art and um, how much of it uh, kind of goes against his sensibilities, um, dad's really, really good at compartmentalizing. Like he can, uh, and he's really, really uh, enthusiastic about the business, you know. Mm -hmm. he, he, here's the thing I think that is is pretty rad, and uh, it, it, I don't even think it's in the book, but um, there's this saying uh, which I believe was attributed to uh, Andrew Carnegie, who's I, I might be wrong about that, but uh, the saying is. Um, the first third of your life is for making mistakes. The second third of your life is for making money. And the final third of your life is for giving that money away. And, uh, you know, if, if we were to, you know, for the sake of round numbers, uh, call a lifespan a hundred years, you know, like I got sober when I was 33 
and uh, really, really did a great job of checking the mistakes box. And when I got sober in 2008 with the financial crisis, my life was in such shambles. I was, I had every reason to believe that my earnings potential had either completely evaporated or was, you know, about to fall off a fucking cliff. And, um, you know, my savings were, you know, like more than half gone from Mm -hmm. the financial crisis. So I I kind of, uh, in early sobriety, I switched into a, um, you know, a mindset because I didn't even think I was going to be fucking alive, you know, like I was pretty sure that I'd be dead. Now all of a sudden I might be alive for, for, you know, many more decades. Like it was scary. So uh, I, I got kind of proactive since I got sober about trying to be more savvy in business. And um, I think that, uh, that that's brought my dad and I super closer together. Mm-hmm. You know, like since I got sober, I've uh, more and more exhibited my dad's traits and um, our relationship is just so awesome as a result. Dad's on my payroll now. It's crazy. <laughs> nice. He handles uh, all things insurance mm-hmm. and uh, like way, way more than that. It's crazy. Yeah. Very cool. Well, uh, I mean, I could, I could pepper you for a lot longer, but uh, I don't yeah. want to, I don't want to make you late for your next thing. And I appreciate all the yeah. time you gave me. Hey man, it's all good. I appreciate you as well. But, and, um, just to, uh, you know, kind of finish the, uh, the thought about the, you know, the trimesters of life. Um, absolutely. I want to just be as fucking aggressive as possible at, uh, you know, business. Um, so that like I can realize my vision, my, you know, Lux and I, our vision of, uh, employing hundreds of people to take care of thousands of animals and to figure out a way to do that, 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 um, that affords me my own little like Graceland style fucking spot. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to have my own little museum because I'm a super attention whore <laughs> egomaniac. And I want to, you know, I'm so jealous of fucking, I was just recently in uh in uh, Memphis and visited Graceland. Yeah. I was like, oh my God. I was just like, this fucking guy, Elvis, has <laughs> been dead longer than he was alive. Like, still people are flocking to this fucking place. I'm just so jealous of that. <laughs> you know? That's, that's your thought, goal. Well, I mean, I just thought, like, I mean, like, I, it was on, uh, on our own, you know, uh, uh, on our own path, we, we, we arrived at wanting to get a big property and open up an animal sanctuary, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, it, it makes sense that for that to be um, a successful, you know, like sustainable uh, thing that it should have its own revenue streams, you know, like, uh, and so incorporating some kind of uh Graceland like model, if 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 that's gonna help the place be self-sufficient, then fuck yeah, you know. If it like it, it almost seems to just be synergistic with uh 
what a what a egomaniac attention whore I am, mm-hmm. and uh, you know our lofty goals of uh, what we want to do. So yeah, man, that that's uh, that, that that's super where my head's at, and um, you know that that's that that I'm in that second trimester of life, and and I'm going for it. Very cool. Well, again, thanks for talking to me, and uh, I really hey, appreciate brother. it. Yeah, likewise, man. Thank you for your time, man. I, I really appreciate you.